Well, it is good to see you, and it is Mother's Day. I have a problem with Mother's Day. Not because I don't like spending money, it's the topic of today's sermon, by the way. But I have a problem with Mother's Day because I think every day should be Mother's Day, not just once a year. So having been in the doghouse, I'm now in the good books of uh, mums out there and ladies in the church. I think we should be celebrating mums uh, and the women of our community every day, not just on one day a year. I think we should be loving them. I think we should be treasuring them. Do you notice how that word uh, came up a few times in this passage in Matthew 6? We're looking at verses 19 to 24 today. It's the topic of treasure, of possessions. Not sure quite how the word vermin got in the translation. That's an interesting one. But uh, the idea of treasure and what is most valuable to you is central to this passage and to the heart and passion of Jesus. We're in the Sermon of the Mount. It should be a kind of an 18 rating, I think, because it's so confrontational in its words and content. Jesus is so direct because he's so passionate that people that follow him would be central in their understanding of the kingdom of God, of following him, of knowing him, and not just a content in their minds that they understand, but it should trickle down like a coffee percolator to every aspect of their lives. And today, Jesus goes for our hearts, verses 19 to 24. Once again, it's about treasure. Not a person that you might celebrate for a day. Not a mum or a lady in your life, a foster carer or adoptive mum that's been so significant in your raising and upbringing. What do you truly live for? What do you truly treasure? I heard the story of a Christian man this week. And when he disciples students... One of the things he does very early on in the time that he spends with them is to take them to a graveyard. He takes them to a graveyard and he points out a few gravestones and he points out a few comments and uh, the brevity of life, how long we live for. And he asks them a question, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to live for? What will your life be about? People at university, 18 through 21, something like that. And it's a question of, with all your ambitions, with all your skill set, what will you be remembered for? What will you treasure now? What will you be known for? What will you give your best efforts and resources and time and energies to? What will you treasure? That's what this passage is about. It's part of chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 1 to 18. It's on the screen here. Just one step back. Uh, On the screen here, Matthew 6 is in two parts, and it's the first part we've been looking at the last three weeks, verses 1 to 18. It's the private world, the disciplines of private discipleship, what it means to be a Christian as you give your resources away, as you pray. Are you a person who prays on a Sunday only when you're in trouble alone, or are you someone who has a praying life? It's a discipline, it's habitual, it shows your dependency on God. And central to that as well would be fasting. Another spiritual discipline of self-denial that is praying with your whole body. That's what we thought about last week. Giving, praying, fasting. Verses 19 to 34 now, as we get to the end of the passage, Jesus moves his attention from private to public. From private to public. And now it's what happens if those disciplines are in place, if the uh, private world of a Christian is ordered, then how does it look like, what does it look like as we deal with our money once again, as we deal with our possessions and food and drink, with the stuff that wakes us up in the middle of the night? That's next week. Anxiety. Are we okay at the back? 
with anxiety? What causes us to be fractious and fretful? Because Jesus says when you look at the world, there's lots of ways that you can divide it. But really, it just should be in twos. It should be in twos. There's uh, two treasures. There's the treasures of earth. And there's the treasure of heaven. That's 19 to 21, the two ways you can divide the world. But then you can divide the world bodily as well. Verses 22, 23, there's the conditions of light and darkness is another way to divide the world. And then you can boil it right down to how we, well, who is it we worship? Do we worship God, the God of the Bible, or do we worship mammon or money, if you're familiar with an old translation, it's mammon. It's a, it's a way of personifying, making money into a person to say it's a, who will you worship? Will you worship the God of the Bible or will you worship money? Let's treat it as a person. And in these sentences, 19 to 24, Jesus is once again is going straight for our heart. And he tells us about the power of possessions, of treasure. And really that's all about money. How we use our money to select uh, and to buy, to purchase treasures and possessions. It's about stuff. It's about things. And Jesus says right in the middle of this section, money has a great and significant power. It's just like the ring in Lord of the Rings that can have a power over us. That can make us do things that we could never imagine. And then we look back and we realize how it changed our life. Because money, says Jesus... Money has power to blind us. Money has power to blind us. He says that as our first point in sentence 22 to 23. It's the, it's the filler of the sandwich of this section, verses 19 to 24. Look at 22 and 23 with me. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, Jesus is talking as an image. It's a metaphor. He's talking about sight. But it's not just sight and light and darkness. In the Bible, sight, sight is used for the heart. And Jesus is not talking about a physical ailment, as real and as difficult as that is. He's talking about our hearts. Psalm 119 says that. In Psalm 119, Jesus uses the synonymous way of saying, with my whole heart, I seek you. It's a heart condition, it's a passion, it's a desire. A few sentences later, Psalm 119, verse 19, he says, I fix my eyes on you. I fix my eyes on all your commandments. Sight and heart is the same thing in the Bible. What is most precious to us? What is our greatest ambition? What are we looking at? What is our treasure? And the argument that Jesus says seems to go like this. Money can blind you. And I want to tell you why, says Jesus, and so do I. Here are three reasons that money has this overpowering influence on our lives. Let's think about them carefully. Most sins, shall I just move this a little bit more? A bit of a noise. Just struggling with this today. Trying to make me sound more like Barry White. Let's try that, see if that's going to be less interference. Thank you. Most sins you know when you're doing them, right? 
when you're having an argument with someone, when you're being really aggressive, not passive aggressive, when you're really being leery with someone, you know at the end of that conversation, wow, I was way out of line. What happened? I need to pick up the phone like someone in our home this week. They, they got really angry on the phone with someone and then they realized they were out of whack and they had to ring them up and apologize. You know when you're angry with someone, don't you? You know when you lie. You know when you've not just bent the truth, you've just shattered it to make your point. You know when you lie, don't you? You know when you've been lusting after someone or something. You know when that's happening in your heart. But money has a power over us. Do you know when you've been greedy? Do you know when money blinds you to its power and force? I don't think you do. I don't think I do. Money has a power. 15% of all the teaching of Jesus, that's more than the combined words and teaching of Jesus on heaven and on hell, is about how we use our money, our possessions, our time. And just looking at that statistically, that shows that we have a big problem with money and resources. Nobody thinks that they spend too much money on themselves, do we? We can see that we've got a problem with greed or lust or lying, or our physical usages of uh, abuse. But when it comes to money, money has a power to blind us to its force on our lives. It's it's like it has a Teflon coating on our heart. You know those pans with Teflon so the eggs don't stick or pancakes don't stick? Money is like Teflon on our hearts. All of us have a problem with it, but no one thinks it's sticky on us. Here's the second thing. Money has a power to blind us to our lifestyle choices. In the Western world, we couldn't say this necessarily in the developing world. There are 50 things of everything you want. That's why I stopped going to Tesco's. I'm now at Audi. There's still lots of choice, don't get me wrong, but there's less choice, which means I'm quicker. But when it comes to coffee, there are 50 choices. When it comes to the mobile phone, there's always the next model up. When it comes to cars, the choices are endless. When it comes to internet service providers, the list is endless. When it comes to insurance, you just choose. When it comes to hair gel, haircuts, clothing trainers, you name it, the choices are endless and perplexing. We are so, so guilty of having so much choice. And money has power to blind us of the level of choice because no matter how much money you have, you end up making micro decisions. I've got a pay bump. That means I can get that gym membership that I've always wanted. I've got more money. That means I can now get a phone upgrade. That means I can now get Sky Plus. And there are myriad and million of choices. That means that actually no matter how much money we have, We never have enough because money has power to blind us and money has power power to blind us in our choices. We can go for a better holiday. We can get to a better postcode. Our kids can go to better schools. We can get a better investment product so we'd be more secure in the future. (coughs) Money is that powerful, but no one thinks we're guilty of abusing money. Money also can blind us in our work. When was the last time you asked ethically if the work that you're engaged in actually benefits people, is ethically sound. The choices and decisions that you are under pressure to make are actually for the good of society. They're good for the whole. When is the last time you asked that? It's a difficult question to ask, but we will never think that we are guilty of misuse of money because money has great power to blind us. When was the last time that you looked at your balance sheet perhaps six months ago, and you thought, am I spending too much money on myself? 
I've never asked that question personally. I've asked it this week. When was the last time you looked at your money and you looked at where your money is going? As we're going to think in a moment, that's a great way of analyzing your treasure, says Jesus. And so Jesus takes this image of blindness and says, actually, it's an issue of the heart. And it's an issue of money being so strong and powerful that actually money, well, just as the eye is the lamp of the body, when your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eyes or your heart is bad, your whole body will be full of blindness. You won't be able to see clearly. And that's an issue of sight and of the eyes of your heart. But you know what? Here's the second thing. Money, when you look carefully at money, money doesn't just reveal spiritual sight. It reveals what really controls us. Money reveals what really controls us. Now, where is this? Hands up for a quiz question, if you can see that clearly. Where in the world is that? You're at the back, sir? It's the Vatican. I was hoping Olivia would be here. It's the Vatican. It's the, it's the famous square there. Here's another one. Where is that? It's the pyramids in Egypt. I remember when Google Maps came out, Google Earth, it was absolutely incredible. You could go anywhere in the world with a click of a mouse and you can investigate places that you could never go to. If you haven't been to any of these places, just ask Caroline. She's been to all of them and a few more beside. Friends, if you want to find your true treasure, says Jesus, there's one way you can do it. Look at where the money goes. Look at where your money most easily flows to. How you use your money is like a Google Maps for your soul. That's what I want you to hear. If you look at where your money goes most easily, most readily, with no question asks, that will reveal to you what you treasure. Look at sentence 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or at the end of verse 24. You cannot serve both God and money. So verse 24, money is capitalized. The old translation, as I said already, it's God and mammon. That's the Aramaic word uh, for money, which means assets or wealth. In, a, uh, in that context, it wasn't just money. It wasn't just bank accounts. It was bigger than that. It was assets. It was uh, the clothes that you had on your back and so on. And as money is personified, you get the sense that actually it's an issue not just of how much money or credit or debt you own, how much money you used to have or now you hope to have in the year to come when you get a pay rise. Money is something that you can worship. It's a person that you can have in your life. It's a rival God, says Jesus. You cannot serve both God and money, verse 24, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know where your heart rests, if you want to know what your heart serves... If you want to know what you really rest your life on functionally, if you want to look at your source of self-worth, look at where your money goes. Now, most of us are English here, so you're thinking you're getting close to stepping over the line here. Well, I think I am because Jesus is saying it. If you want to see what you are most passionate about, you just need to look at the ins and outs of your finances. I find money just flies out for some guilty pleasures, no questions asked. For my brother-in-law, it's books. He has thousands of books. He owns a library, and it's in his home. No questions asked. The kids, they can eat later. But there's a great new book that's come to the online account that I own. 
For me, it could be gardening, it could be leisure, it's certainly comfort. No question asks. I don't want chocolate raisins, I need them. The day's been hard. Sky Sports is not just a necessity for me. Liverpool may win the league. It must be mine, just for this year. And so on. But what's it for you? It could be hobbies. No questions asked. It could be your home. Not a hobby for me, it's my home. No questions asked. It could be gym membership. It could be golf. It could be your haircuts. It could be your physical appearance. Where your money goes to will reveal something. It reveals what you most treasure. For some people, it could be books because it reveals... Well, you want to put on a persona of that you're intelligent. What people think of you is so important that books will go some way to showing that you know what you're talking about. If it is gym membership, but if it is body image, men as well as women, what does that reveal? It reveals health, that you desire to be healthy. That's a good thing. But also, if you spend endlessly on it, it could be an idolatrous thing. Where does your money flow to most readily? Because verse 21 says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart really lives. It's very confrontational from Jesus. And Jesus says money has tremendous power to control us. Your bank balance is like a Google map for your soul. It shows what you prioritize the most. Well, that's grace. Thank you very much. I now feel depressed. Well, where's the answer here? Look at our third point. If money makes us blind, if money has tremendous power over us, how do we break the power? There must be an answer. Well, there is, and his name is Jesus. But before we get to Jesus, we need to think a little bit more carefully. Treasure is not a bad thing. Dallas Willard wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount. He calls it The Divine Conspiracy. It's a helpful little book. And he says this, everyone has treasures, Everyone has treasures. It's an essential part of being a human being. To discuss our treasures is to deal with the fundamental structure of your soul. It's not a treasure found at the end of an hour and a half film with Nicolas Cage, a national treasure. It's not a map that you can go and pursue. It's not a kind of gold booty somewhere with that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean go and find. Treasure is something we value deeply in our soul, says Willard. And look at sentence 19. If you want to find liberty from the power and force of money, if you want to treat it just as money, how do you do that? First of all, you need to locate your treasure. You need to locate your treasure. But look at the dangers there in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust or vermin, where moth or rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal first thing you need to do is to recognize what treasure is all of us have treasure there's no getting away from that what your treasure here tells you who you are it shows you your identity it shows you what your hope is and all of us need to be honest enough and recognize what our earthly treasure is what is our earthly treasure that sentence literally says verse 19 don't treasure treasures on earth In other words, we all treasure treasures on earth, but we need to recognise what our treasure truly is. But why should we not treasure treasures on earth? Sentence 19, these famous words, because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. As a teenager, as a young person, a few of us in here today, I'm assigning myself with you. What do you value the most? The phone is a great temptation. Whatever uh, badge is on the back to say, if I lose that, I'm in deep trouble. Who can I speak to? 
Who can I text? Who can I access? What about my favourite trainers that I've just got for a birthday? I don't want them to get any muck or mud on them. They're, they're precious to me. What is it? Is it that new piece of clothing that you've got? What is it you treasure the most? Is it your academic prowess and success? Where's your identity? I remember chatting to a lovely man. He became a Christian 30 years ago or so. He had a wonderful collection of classic cars, like the old Bugsy Malone type with the curved bumpers at the front. The moment he became a Christian, it all changed. He sold two of them. He kept one. One was for fun. Three was too much. Friends, is it retirement planning? What are you saving up for? What do you think you deserve when retirement comes and the age of retirement comes lower and lower? Jesus is saying, don't treasure treasures on earth. Is it your golf dream of playing golf for 50 years when you retire in Florida in that retirement home? What do you treasure? Jesus says, don't treasure treasures on earth because they are passing. Think into eternity. Treasuring treasures on earth is not just money. At the time it was written, you've got these words here in sentence 19, rust. Uh, could also mean mildew or decay. Because, as I've read on this this week, it's the way that I dress as well. It's not just money. In the time that this was written, clothing would be passed on from generation to generation. They were so expensive to buy clothes, you wouldn't buy something every season. They would be passed on. That's the way I'm going to live. I change clothes when they fall off me or when they're taken off me because there's holes in them. I want to pass them on to my kids because fashion is just cyclical every 50 years. Jesus is talking about assets. He's talking not just about money in the bank. And he's saying, don't treasure things on earth, whether it's your, whether it's your favorite pair of shoes, whether it is uh, a golf club set, whether it's a prized car, whether it's some jewelry, whether it's something in your physical personhood. Everything goes south in the end, no matter how much intervention we get to nip and tuck. And Jesus is saying it's perishing. So do not invest your treasure now. Don't treasure treasures on earth because they fade so quickly. It's so insecure if you invest in the here and now. But if you invest in eternity, it's the safest place to be. Don't treasure treasures now. There's a famous sermon given uh, about 20 years ago by John Piper. He uh, read a story in the Regis Digest about a couple who retired in their 50s and they travelled up and down the Florida Keys and up and down that lovely uh, part and stretch of water collecting seashells. And he said there is a multi-million pound industry that is geared for you to spend your uh, retirement life on a boat traveling up and down the Florida Keys. And what will they have to take into eternity? Seashells. What an absolute tragedy, he said. And he contrasted them with someone who had just died on the mission field telling Cambodian people about Jesus. Friends, what are you investing in? What do you truly treasure? If you were to go to a gravestone today, what would it say on it if it was yours, if it was mine? Don't invest in the here and now. Why? Because moth and rust, cars rust. Cars are great. Enjoy cars, but cars rust. Houses are great. You need somewhere to live. But don't invest your life and soul in it. What are you living for, says Jesus? Identify your treasures, but... Having identified it, you need to relocate it. Look at sentence 20 again. But Jesus is not against treasure. What does he say? 
But store up for yourself treasures. Don't treasure treasures on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Invest wisely, says Jesus. You've got one life. Will soon be passed, says C.T. Studd. But only what's done in the name of Jesus will last. Here is a man, part of the Cambridge Seven, who gave away millions of pounds in modern money. Went onto the mission field. Why did he do that? Because he saw what was fleeting and he saw what would last. And he wanted to invest in eternity. Now, how do you do that? How do you invest not in the FTSE 100? How do you invest not in a shrewd property acquisition? How do you invest in what will last? I think it's nailed in one sentence in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2, 7, Jesus is quoted as not the precious. But Peter writes this, To you who believe, Jesus is precious. To you who believe, Jesus is precious. He actually uses a noun form and says, He is preciousness. Jesus is preciousness. He is the ultimate treasure. How do you invest wisely with your life? How do you not just believe in Jesus? That's not enough. Demons believe in Jesus. How do you treasure him? That's the difference. How do you do that? Because the reason that we're so afraid of the small things that we have in this world and the good things that we have in this world and the necessary things we have in this world is because we don't treasure him enough. Why is it that we're so concerned when we do get a ding on the car? when we do run out of clothing. Because actually, we're too tied to this world. But to those who believe in Jesus, he is preciousness, he's the ultimate treasure. Now, how do you do that? Not just believe in him, but treasure him. Because it says in sentence 24, no one can serve two masters. What a challenge that is. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. It's a mutual exclusivity. You can't uh, treasure one thing and another. You can only have one treasure. And Jesus says, who will it be? Who will you invest in? Don't treasure earthly treasures. Invest in eternity. If you don't just believe in Jesus, you've got to love him with your whole heart. So you identify your treasure and then you relocate it if you're not yet a Christian in Jesus. You don't just become convinced of the historical reliability of the Bible. You've got to love him. You've got to da- be dazzled by him. You've got to enjoy him. You've got to sing about him with a full heart. Not just because you like the tune, but because he's your treasure. Unless you have Jesus, you'll never truly be rich. Unless you have Jesus, you'll never truly be secure. Unless you have Jesus, you're never truly successful. But he's the only one who will give you a status you can never lose. An inheritance that nothing can ever attack. You can only have one treasure. And the Bible says that treasure is Jesus. But to understand, not just to believe in him, you've got to understand why he came. Why is Jesus the treasure? Because you need to remember what he gave up. Jesus had all the status. He had all the security. He had the best postcode. He had all the honour. He lived in heaven, he had all the beauty, he had all the success, he had all the renown, he had all the wealth, as it were, when he was in heaven. But he lost it all. Why? Why did Jesus lose all of that treasure, all of that status? And he did lose it all. Think about his early life. 
when he was born, he was born in a cattle shed. He left it all behind. He was born in a manger. He was poor when he was circumcised as a young boy. His parents, to identify their poverty, just bought the offering that poor people would bring. Two little doves. That's all they could scrape together and afford. He didn't even have a home, nowhere to lay his head. He was the poorest of the poor. He had one garment to his name, no other possessions. He lived uh, a nomadic life and he died in a borrowed tomb, you could say. He left all the treasures behind. Why? What did he not have? If he had it all, why would you give it up? Because he didn't have us. He didn't have us, says the gospel. There was one thing Jesus did not have in heaven, that's you. He didn't have his people. And that's why he gave it all up. That's why he laid it all aside. That's why he who was rich became so, so poor. Because he wanted a new treasure. He wanted a people for himself. 1 Peter also says in chapter 2 verse 9, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own possession. That word means treasures. You are God's treasures. No matter how you feel, the reality is that God sings over his people because he treasures you because of his son. And if you, and when you see Jesus dying for you, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, that will make him your treasure. He's not just someone you believe in. He's someone to whom you are everything. And so when it comes to Money, money is just money when you see Jesus as your treasure. If Jesus is not your treasure, money will be part of your identity. And if Jesus is your treasure and money is just money, then surely we can just give it away generously in different times and seasons. But whether we're rich or poor, on benefits or we're millionaires, we can be generous and responsible with what we've been entrusted with. Money is just money when you have Jesus. And it becomes a great resource to bless other people, whether it be our mums today, taking them out for a meal. And certainly at the beginning of chapter 6, it's those needy, physically, spiritually needy as well. Are we generous with our money? Is it part of our identity? Is it who we are? Where's our treasures? Just look at where your money goes most readily and most easily. And maybe one day we can sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When that happens, you stop serving God and money and money just becomes money because Jesus is your treasure. Let's pray.